Good morning, church family. Uh, I hope you're enjoying your morning coffee and just being together as a family as we connect um, lounge room to lounge room uh, during this time. Um, I was ordained into ministry with Baptist Churches of South Australia in 1983. Um, that's, of course, in the last century. And the service for ordination is where I got my revs up, kind of turbocharged for ministry. Um, this whole thing has now been replaced by accreditation in the modern era. And the service recognised that I'd completed appropriate studies for pastoral ministry. And it was a time where Baptist churches of um, South Australia affirmed that I had a call to ministry and they laid hands on me and prayed for me along with uh, four of my mates on that occasion. And that was all an important confirmation of my calling uh, to be a pastor, something that I've already been doing for more than four years. But one of the special moments in that service was to realise after it was all over that my uncle from Melbourne had turned up surprisingly, unexpectedly. He was a beautiful and gracious Christian man, a much loved uncle. And as we were talking, I just asked him why he drove all the way from Melbourne to Adelaide for this one hour or so service. And he said something like this, I remember it clearly. I've been praying for you all during this time and I wanted to share this occasion with you because I believe that God has called you to this high office. That's what he called it. And with that, he gave me a handwritten letter of encouragement. And the letter contained these words from the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 and I'm going to read it from the King James Version which was his favourite version. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. This is how it read in the RSV that I used as my study Bible at the time. And I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And you know what? I reckon my uncle was really in tune with the Holy Spirit of God on that occasion. And I say it because I so often have turned to those words of encouragement. They're written on my heart. I've turned to them in the rough and tumble of what is called pastoral ministry. They are a reminder to me that God has my back. They are a reminder to me that as long as I've remained faithful to his call on my life to pastoral ministry, that he is working in the church and in me. It's just such a great encouragement. Well, about 15 years ago, uh, when I decided to preach on Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, I discovered that Paul wrote these words from his prison cell, uh, most commentators say, in Rome, some 1,300 kilometres away from Philippi, the church that he was writing to, and he was in isolation. Different kind of isolation, but we're in isolation today. And Paul kind of 
answered all these letters and wrote all these letters to churches in a creative way while he was in prison. He wrote so many there. I wonder if there's not some creativity coming out of you as there's this enforced kind of rest at this time. Anyway, I hesitatingly began to read the letter in Greek, um, hesitatingly because I'm a bit slow. Um, Greek's the original language in which Paul wrote. And it was then that I learned that the you in this verse is actually plural. This work I've begun in you, the church. And that's how it occurs almost invariably throughout this letter to the church at Philippi. So I want us to have a look at this verse, keeping in mind that foremost for Paul was the church, the gathered group of people. Yes, it's made up of individuals in which Jesus has begun a work. So you can apply the verse there, but he's referring to the church. He who began a good work in you, the church. God inaugurated the work at Philippi. It was a decisive and deliberate act of his. It was something he planned and he executed to perfection. And the story is told in the book of Acts, chapter 16. You may want to read that um, after this. I'm going to retell bits of it. It's now about 20 years after the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, along with some of his friends, was on his second big mission trip. And he had a vision from God. And Paul decided on the basis of that vision to then go to Macedonia, to the Roman colony of Philippi. And on the Sabbath day, Paul met with the Jews at their place of prayer down by the river. And Paul's message to that group of women that day, praying down by that river, focused on salvation, the gospel. And Lydia was there and she was a dealer in purple cloth and she believed that message and she and her household were baptised. Her salvation clearly demonstrates that God inaugurated that good work in her. Oh, look, there's no doubting that Lydia could remember the date of her conversion, that she could tell the story of how it all happened, that she was down by the river listening to Paul and so on. And that's the day she put her trust in Jesus. But listen to how it's recorded for us in Acts 16 and verse 14. It's not told in terms of the faith she exercised. This is what it says. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart. It was he who began the good work in her and therefore in the church. And this really is the true inner story of your conversion, of my conversion, of our coming to salvation, to the beginning of the church. It's in the heart and the action of God. That's encouraging. You see, my personal salvation, the, the whole existence of the church would be wretchedly unsure if there was no other foundation other than I've decided to follow Jesus. 
we've decided to follow Jesus because we know that our human hearts blow hot, they blow cold, they follow, they turn away, they stumble, they fall, they fail. And that would make everything so insecure and unstable, wouldn't it? No security. But God has acted out of his own spontaneous and lavish love for us at a decisive moment to open our hearts, to hear, to understand and to accept by faith the good news of salvation. This then is where our assurance lies. He began a good work in the church and in our personal lives. Well, Paul continued his missional work in the town and for many days uh, he was pestered by a slave girl and she had some kind of second uh, insight that she exercised in trances and that brought great money to those who owned her. And Paul eventually commanded the spirit to come out of the girl. And her owners quickly realised that their source of income was gone. And as a result, Paul and Silas were unlawfully flogged and thrown into prison by the Roman magistrate. They had shown a slave girl the way to freedom in Christ, only to lose their own freedom. Well, we all know the story well. We learned it in Sunday school over and over. During the night, Paul and Silas were praising God. When a sudden earthquake shook the prison, their shackles fell off their hands and their feet. Prison doors were flung open. They were free to run for it, but they didn't. They chose to remain and Paul held all the prisoners there. And the jailer was about to kill himself when Paul spoke to him and said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. It was a kind of a you matter to God moment for the jailer. And he trembled, kneeling before Paul and Silas. And he, along with his household, became believers and were baptised. Paul and Silas returned uh, to Lydia and encouraged the few believers who'd begun to gather there. And then they left Philippi. It's a fairly spectacular beginning, but quite messy. Just a few believers. And that's what Paul told them 10 years on from that moment. He who began a good work in you. It was all about God at work in their lives. Yes, God begins the work, but he continues the work until he finishes it. I love that. I love that, really love it. Ezekiel 20 records for us some of the history of the nation of Israel and in particular some of their rebellion against the Lord, turning away from him, their fickleness. And their rebellion was real and it made their history twisted and tortuous. And three times in this chapter, Paul records that they rebelled. But four times... He records and he thunders out God's message to the people. I acted for the sake of my name. As God kept coming to them in grace and mercy. Three times they rebelled, four times. God comes to them in love and mercy. God could not and would not let his people go. He's moved by impulses, motives deep down in his own nature. He'll never desert his declared intention to have a people for himself.
The fact that you and I will continue in grace is as certain as the fact that God, who cannot lie, will go on working in us. This assurance that God gives us guarantees the outcome. It guarantees that God takes up all our experiences of every day and he continues to work in us, waiting to put the final touches on. We may receive good news, bad news, might be difficulty in our lives, might be blessing, unexpected happiness, unexpected trouble. God continues the good work that he's begun in us as a church and in us personally. When we fail him, when we doubt him, when we try and get ahead of him, when we're very slow to follow him, he has an inexhaustible supply of love for his church. And he comes to us in grace and mercy to continue the work of transforming us into the likeness of his dear son, Jesus Christ. The pastoral search team is acting on our behalf at the moment and it's experienced ups and downs and twists and turns as they seek to find an appropriate pastor for Bentley. It's a good time to say thanks to Rob Gregg and the team for their faithful service to us as a church. But we might be asking, where are you God? What are you doing on our behalf God? Where are you at work on our behalf God? in finding a pastor for us. What does Philippians 1, 6 tell us? He is at work in the church for his glory and our good. John Altberg is a pastor in America, written a lot of books, probably out there. Several of you have read some of his books. If not, they're really worth reading. And Back in the 90s and early 2000s, he was a teaching pastor at Willow Creek Community Church. And one day he was being interviewed when he was asked this question. Are there times when people are especially open to change? And this was John's response. We did a survey when I was at Willow Creek and asked thousands of people. Think about a time in your life when you felt like you were growing the most spiritually. What contributed? to that. And you know what the number one answer was? A simple word, pain. Pain contributed to their growth. And he went on to say this, I think a helpful thing churches can do is to provide lots of pain for people. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm asked what it means being a pastor, I say my task as a pastor is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. We all need to keep on moving. Well, John went on to say this, John Ortberg, because pain is such a vivid, intense and unpleasant experience, it creates, creates motivation to seek help from outside of ourselves more than anything else does. Pain has a way of opening up somebody to say, the way I've been doing life is not working. I think I'm on safe ground when I say that all of us at the moment are feeling pain to a greater or lesser extent during this COVID-19 pandemic 
and the, the kind of lockdown and stay at home messages and keep your distance. Good messages to follow. Do you know what? God's up to something good in the church and in our personal lives. He's transforming us. Do you believe it? We're so often crashing along at microwave speed whilst God may be strolling along smelling the roses at marinade pace. Whatever. God is at work amongst us. And then we read Paul says, he does this until it is completed, until it is finished, until it is perfected on the day of Jesus Christ. God starts the work, he's doing the work until he perfects us on the day when we see Jesus face to face. And do you know what? The day of Jesus Christ is written in the Father's diary. He's the only one who knows when that is. Jesus himself doesn't know. I like to picture it this way, that God's going to tap Jesus on the shoulder, Father God, and say, OK, son, it's time to go and get on. He knows. And that day will come and the Father will have everything and everyone ready for it. It will happen. The Father has seen the work of his Son on the cross. And I looked at this whole, it is finished, in John 9, 19, a few weeks ago. It is finished, the same word as here, perfected, completed, finished. The only fitting finale to the all-encompassing and powerful work of salvation on the cross is now to reveal the perfected saints, the church, the bride, and God is going to do it. And we'll bow at the feet of Jesus in awe and wonder. The good work completed. Fills me with great confidence. Fills me with confidence to continue to work, to continue to believe, to continue to be part of the church. Because I'm going to be part of a glorious bride one day. I heard this said, there is not a quitter bone in God's being. He doesn't throw in the towel. And of course, that's a reference to the boxing ring. He doesn't throw in the towel in surrender. I know myself really well. And if you want to know me better, then talk to Sharon. I regress. I can go lukewarm. I can go cold. I can think about throwing the towel in. Oh, it's all too hard. Why is this happening? I'm prone to almost step off the straight and narrow. God must be sorely tempted to quit on us, but he doesn't, as he didn't with the nation of Israel, as we found out in Ezekiel, so he doesn't with us. Oh, we grieve his heart. It hurts his heart because he loves us. That's what grief's about, love. But he keeps on coming back to us with assurance and encouragement and stays with us in all our ups and downs, putting the finishing touches to us. What could be more precious? What could be more reassuring 
than that. The God of the universe never spits the dummy on his church nor his people, the individuals. He keeps getting us ready for Jesus. The work he's begun, he's going to perfect. The church is everything to God. Can you believe it? We really do matter to God. And God has confidence in us because of what he's done for us in salvation and what he can do in and through us as we partner with him in his great missionary enterprise. That's part of Philippians 1. We're not led on only to be abandoned at some stage. God's going to complete the work. He's going to finish what he started in the church. When we began this wonderful journey of faith and trust, God made a wholehearted com commitment to the church and to us to complete it, perfect it. He's there barracking for us. He offers to us his resources through his Holy Spirit so that we can move on with confidence. And we do so only as we place our confidence, our trust in him. That's where our security is. You and I can have supreme confidence that what God starts, he continues and he will finish. Now for me, to, to, to wrap this up, because there's not a quitter bone in his being, because he doesn't throw in the towel, he does not settle and accommodate our comfort zones. As I said, one of my tasks as a pastor is to afflict the comfortable. Out of your comfortable zones, comfort zones. And he doesn't just sit there and mollycoddle us in our failings. He brings the Spirit of God to begin to transform us. He loves us too much to leave us in those spaces. Why does he do that? Because he knows who we as a church and we as individuals can become. He knows the growth we can make. He knows the impact that we can have on others around us, our neighbours and our society as we live our lives with him and for him. And he knows that he's going to perfect this work. What an awesome God that we worship and serve. Did I hear an amen from your lounge rooms? I just want to read a little bit more of the letter um, that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. I want to read from the message as I conclude all of this today. Philippians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 14 in the message. This is Paul talking again to this church, the church that God began. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. 
That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. And I love this. Go out into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living God. Carry the light giving message into the night. So I'll have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. In these uncertain times, God is at work. Go on seeking him. You've got more time, possibly a lot of you, to get to know him better. Redouble your efforts, it says here, so that when you meet your neighbours, you can be a blessing to them and hold up the light of Christ for them. May you be blessed by knowing God at work in us as a church, though we be separated. And I hate this physical distancing, as I said in the email. But let's look for the shoots of growth that God's doing in our midst together when we'll be able to share them and individually. May God bless you and bless his church. Amen.